Exodus chapter 30. If you were here with us last week, we started part one, just, just knowing that we had guests back-to-back weeks. Still wanted to continue to go through our study, but uh, I titled it, and it's the same today, The Heart of Offering, and we'll just call it The Heart of Offering Part 2 today. And we had covered the first bullet point, the offering of praise, uh, specifically around the altar of incense. Uh, we talked about this altar and its difference being completely different than the brazen altar, but the incense that would go up daily. And I just want to reread some of the text here, and we'll go from, from verse 5 all the way to verse 16. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel, their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than a half shekel. When you make an offering to the Lord, you shall make atonement for yourselves." And you, shall make, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Father, we ask that you would just give wisdom and understanding, and you would open the eyes and the ears and the hearts of the hearers that we would see and understand what the Spirit is saying through these verses written so long ago, but Lord, yet have eternal purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you're taking notes, uh, this heart of offering part two, the two bullet points that we'll look at this morning, an offering of diligence and offering of remembrance. An offering of diligence and an offering of remembrance. We had covered last week offering of praise, but as we look at this next aspect, when, when Aaron was supposed to go in and he was supposed to offer up the incense in the morning and the evening, this sweet incense. That at the end of this chapter, you'll see that this incense is very unique. It could not be duplicated. It wasn't to be duplicated. It wasn't to be used in any other fashion, but for the service of going up before the Lord in the tabernacle. Uh, when Aaron would go in there, you notice that uh, when he would go in in verse 7 to burn the sweet incense, when he tends the lamps. Now, we already know that uh, we've looked at the menorah, uh, which has the center branch and the three branches on each side, and, and later we know that uh, Jesus uh, will actually walk among the lampstands, and where? The book of Revelation, he's tending the lamps and actually noticing 
that some of those lamps are in bad shape. Their fires are not, uh, that the flame has gone out, that uh, they have lost their first love. But Jesus is the high priest for us, right? He's the high priest of the church. He's the one that actually is going to examine and tend the lamps of the churches. But yet, you and I have been made kings and priests in his name. So we now have to daily, just as we looked at last week, we offer up incense to the Lord, but we don't offer up incense like Aaron did. We offer up what? Praise. Prayer. Relationship. Our incense before the Lord is communicating with God. I don't set anything on fire in the morning, do you? Although we do have a gas stove, but uh, you know, I don't set anything on fire, but on my knees before the Lord is the incense I offer up, praising the Lord, thanking the Lord, telling Him how great He is, worshiping Him in prayer. That incense, but at the same time, I'm also supposed to tend the lamps of my life. Now, I know that He is the lamp of my life, isn't He? His Word is a lamp into my life. And part of the tending to the lamp and keeping... Now, I don't have to create the oil for this lamp, and nor do you. That was given to you at salvation in the form of the Holy Spirit, right? So when we're in Romans, where we've been in Romans, where Paul talks about that we're actually dead to sin, and that's because the very presence of God now lives inside of us. So the oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit, has been given to us. I don't have to create it, nor could I create it if I wanted to. You can't create the presence of God. You can only receive the presence of God. Amen? You can't create that. But what God then does is He puts it in our heart to actually tend to it. To tend to it. I mean, you had to, you had to take some level of initiative to be here today. Even though God wanted you here, you dressed yourself, right? You brushed your own teeth, I hope. (laughs) You did the things that were necessary to be here today, and some, some of you may not feel that great, and you still came anyway. You might have aches and pains, and you still came anyway. And a lot of times, you're, when you're doing the things that God's asked to do, you're talking to the Lord through the process and saying, Lord, help me do this and this and this, and show me if this is out of alignment. What it's telling us here is every day, Aaron would have to be attentive to the things of the Lord. Every day, he had to go and check the lamps, make sure they're lit. Offer up the incense before the Lord. But the Lord says, when you tend the lamp. It's an assumption of the Lord that once you've come to Him, now you belong to God, you are in His hands, you now do His work. It's an assumption. It's a good assumption because we were bought with a price. We are no longer our own, the Scriptures tell us. So if we're no longer our own, God's assumption is, hey, now you belong to me. And if you think of the children of Israel, it wasn't that long ago that they belonged to who? Pharaoh. When they belong to Pharaoh, you make mud bricks made of straw. You do everything Pharaoh says. But then once you come to know the Lord, God says, now you belong to me, and I've got a new task for you. I want you to keep these lamps lit. I want you to 
offer up incense before before me every day. And I look at this area for us as more of that personal devotion. Chris was talking about going and and reaching the world in different language groups. But I'm going to tell you, you will never have that desire unless you first have that personal devotion, devoted life to the Lord. Amen? You can't, you're not going to have God's heart unless you spend time with God. You could watch all the amazing videos ever made, and there's some fantastic ones about what God's doing around the world, but you will lose interest in less than a couple of days if you don't spend time in the presence of the Lord. You can't manufacture, you can't even just get fired up by a patriot. Think about a a country. People get fired up at a patriotic moment, but that wanes pretty quick, doesn't it? It it doesn't last that long. You have to stay close to the fire of the Lord. You have to stay in his presence. You have to tend to the things that he told us to tend to. Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower that the seed is thrown everywhere, but some, the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, all these kind of things would drown out tending to the things that God has asked us to do. And and I know that since I got saved in 1995, ever since I've got saved at that time, the Lord uses the very same things day after day to draw me closer and closer and closer to Him. I've never replaced prayer with something new. I've never replaced reading God's Word with something new. I've never replaced worship with something new. But I tell you, all those things are fresh in the Lord. Not new, but fresh. He make, now, He does make all things new. He makes those things as if they're new, but they're really the same. Is there a different task for Aaron on a daily basis? No. It's to go back and do the same thing Day after day, it's called stewardship. It's being faithful. It's being diligent. It's purposing to be attentive to the things the Lord has called us to do. You know, diligence is based on obedience, right? We're diligent to do the things the Lord has asked to do because we say, yes, Lord, we will obey. We were singing that song, was it last week, the week before, trust and obey, for there's no other way. There's not another way. A lot of times people would like there to be another way. There's got to be a magic elixir. And God says, they're not. I'll give you the strength daily that you need to come back before me morning after morning, evening after evening. Sometimes your prayer hasn't been answered, or at least you think it hasn't been answered, right? It's been heard. God's answered it. He's just said, not yet, or soon, or maybe when you get to heaven, or you know, all those kind of things, but daily coming back before him. Now, we looked at this offering of praise with the incense last week. When we praise the Lord, uh, God is well pleased that we offer up that worship to him, and that's where it starts. And, and we want to come before the Lord daily thanking him for his glory, thanking him for his gifts, thanking him for, for his grace. But In the case of Aaron, when he would offer up the incense and lighting the lamps, even though he was thankful for all that the Lord had done for him, even though they had been delivered from Egypt, it still was not an optional thing. 
it still was required. God had given the task. There wasn't an option. I, I was joking last week that Moses might would say, get in there, if Aaron didn't feel like going one morning. Because there's times when you don't feel like fill in the blank. You don't feel like worshiping. I learned, back when I was saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, Pastor Bob, I've never forgot. Sometimes you, you hear so many great teaching, great messages, but it's the tiniest of things you actually remember. You'll remember like one one millionth of what I ever say in life, I guarantee it. When you get to the end of your life, you'll, what, he said like 10 things I could ever remember. And I'm okay with that. That's the way it is with almost anybody. You remember only 10% of what anyone says. If you're really smart, maybe 20%. But Bob said something, you know, I remember we had newly been saved, and, and, uh, and he's like, you talked, you know, I know some of you came in here this morning, and you just didn't feel like worshiping, and then after a while, you just the first saw it, and then you decided, well, okay, I'll lift a hand about here. And he's like, by the end of it, you got two hands up, and you know, it's like, what happened? You actually believed God, where he said, just do it. Just do it. And so you start, and then you started worshiping, and then just the obedience, which then becomes diligence, God says, now I'll meet with you. But God's not going to meet us at, a, at the intersection of disobedience, at the intersection of I will not, at the intersection of lack of desire to do what you say. He's going to say, I know you lack the desire, but ask me for the desire, and then just take the step of faith to do it. And he will. Romans 12, 11 says, not lagging and diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, it would be very discouraging if God would give us a command like not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, if he didn't give us the divine help to do it. And he has. He's given us the Holy Spirit. I'm going to always refer to the Holy Spirit because in my flesh, and yours too, nothing good dwells. I, I remind myself of that on a regular basis. I don't really even have to remind myself. The longer I'm saved, the more... You realize that the Apostle Paul, the longer he was saved, that's when he wrote, writes, Oh, wretched man that I am. He would realize the longer he was saved that his dependence and his ability to be diligent was based on the work of the Lord in his life. But let me tell you, if we will simply say, Lord, I'll go tend the lamps again this morning, groggy-eyed, not so much feeling spiritual, God says, I'll meet with you. And then throughout the day, you'll minister everywhere you go. Maybe not in the tabernacle. Maybe it is out in your workplace. Maybe it's in your community. Somewhere God's going to use us and minister through us. Now Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also should love one another. Here's a command we've been given. We've been given a number of different commands that we know we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. Study the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. To, to love his word. We know we're commanded to pray. We know we're commanded to be his witnesses, Acts 1.8, to go in and share our faith, whether it's at Bonaire, whether it's in your neighborhood, handing a tract to someone, getting the gospel out. We know these are commands. We're commanded to fellowship, forsake not your sem the seminary of yourselves together. All of these are lamps that we tend to. Amen? 
If you look in the menorah of your life, if you will, you tend to these different lamps, and we have to pray. We have to read the Word of God. We have to share our faith. We have to fellowship with other believers. Well, I don't really feel like fellowshipping. God didn't ask you if you felt like fellowshipping. He says you need it. Right? What would you think about a family that says they love each other that won't ever see each other? Well, we don't really... We live in the same house, but we avoid each other at all costs. We're, we're a really loving family, though. Really. I'd like to not ever go to your house. Uh, so um, we know that we're commanded to do these things. And the manifestation of all of these things is first, it all hangs on the two commandments, to love God first and to love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes that's not easy. And I, I think um, when you think about this command of love, similar to prayer, similar to worship, similar to sharing your faith, many times you won't feel like doing them. Matter of fact, God may say, hey, give a track to this person. And you'll say, I don't think they'll want it, Lord. I think they'll laugh. I think they'll reject. And the fear of man actually takes over the fear of God. And you say, I, I, don't, I don't think this will go well. And I've been shocked how many times it has gone well. I'm not shocked when it doesn't go well because many people rejected Jesus himself. But the love constrains us to go beyond the feeling and to love anyway, to love someone enough to say, Lord, I'm going to give. The need is great, Lord. You've put your love in my heart. I'm going to love anyway. C.S. Lewis, speaking of love, this commandment that we've been given, which is really hard to do at times, isn't it? Because not everybody's lovable. Sometimes your own spouse, sometimes a brother that's offended you, somebody has always been kind of dismissive of you, and you're still supposed to love them anyway. Commandment, uh, C.S. Lewis says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your brother. Act as if you did, and you'll presently come to love him. I love that. I learned that. My, you, you guys have heard my testimony about uh, the lady that I worked with you know, back in Charlotte years ago. That I, I mean, she just could not stand me because I was a believer. And I told the Lord in my prayer, I don't really like her. <laughs> and I want to give her spiritual proof of how dead wrong she is. And I could have. And the Lord says, no, just love her. But I don't really love her. Just love her anyway. Well, I don't really love her. Love her with an action. Buy her lunch. Do things. Well, then it feels fake. God says, I didn't care what it feels like. I said, do it. And after a while, it's not fake. That's what, that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. When you tend to these lamps and you come into the presence of God, God begins to show you what's not right. And it's almost always in our feelings. And he's like, you're going to have to let, trust me to go past those things. Notice that if you're Offering up the incense of prayer. Back in verse 7, and Aaron shall burn the sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. Notice that if you're offering up the incense of prayer and thanksgiving, you'll not forget to tend the lamps. It starts back with what we looked at last week. If I'm not in prayer, you wanna, uh, it's been well said, you want to see the power in someone's life, look at their prayer life. If I'm not in prayer, and I'm not in the, in the Word of God. Those two things primarily. Everything else falls apart. That's the locomotive at the front of the train. I know the Holy Spirit is the, is the power inside the locomotive. The Holy Spirit is the oil for the lamp. But if we will not still come before the Lord and just prayer, 
first and God's word, everything else. We'll never see the needs that God is showing us. We'll never really walk in love. We'll never really care about the loss. We'll, we'll, we'll care about the things that the rest of the world cares about. They care about entertainment tonight. They care about only what is in it for them and their careers. They care about what entertainment and pleasure they can have this coming week that they didn't get to do last week. It's not to say that all of those things are wrong, but they're not the passions of our life. When we offer up the incense and then the Lord says, look, you're in my presence, you will not forget to trim these lamps because God won't let you forget it. It'll be right there in front of your face. And remember, he's before the veil, which the Lord is just behind. We talked about that acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You go before the Lord in those four aspects every day, adoring the Lord, which is worshiping him, praising his name, confessing. Every day we have sin. James tells us this. If anyone doesn't think he has sin, he's wrong. Every man, every woman, we have to go before the Lord. That's why Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses. Remember? In the model prayer, Jesus said, every day you're going to have to come, hallowed be thy name. It starts the same way. Adoration, and you see the confession is required. Thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for what he's done. If you can thank the Lord for nothing else, if you're saved, you've got something to thank God for the rest of your life. Because you're not guaranteed anything else but eternal life. There's nothing else you're guaranteed. Once you put your faith in Christ and trust, uh, trust in Christ, that's the one thing you'll always be thankful for. And then supplication. You're praying for the needs that God has revealed to you, the needs of other people. We pray for the persecuted church like Pastor Saeed and Brother Gal and the lost that are around us. We pray for other people in the church that are hurting. We pray for the needs of those that have you know, marriage issues and divorce and all these things. And so we, we supplicate, we bring requests to God and the longer we're with the Lord, the more mature, as a priest would do, you're bringing the needs of the people even more than your own. God knows your needs too. But that is so important to remember that we have to start there. And when we do, God will move us from prayer to then moving us out into serving. We'll be lighting not only the lamps that the Lord shows us in our prayer, but we'll actually be ministering, as it were, to other people elsewhere in our lives, the sphere of influence God's given us. When you purpose to pray, and you start out there, then when you're in the incense of prayer daily, and then you begin to tend the lamps, you're already in position because of prayer, because of offering up yourself for the Lord, you're in position now for the work that he puts before you. And Chuck Swindoll wrote in, in one of his books, um, speaking of Nehemiah, he said, before Nehemiah ever began to rebuild the wall, Nehemiah started working on it from 800 miles away before the Lord in prayer. Isn't that true? And you read the book of Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah was in this deep prayer with the Lord 800 miles away. He didn't even know he was going to be given that task. And yet he was. And you think about in our lives, what we start in prayer later that day can be power and ministry. That's where it starts. 
That's why we gather on Sunday morning here at 9.45. We want to pray before this service. We, we now pray every single in a Sunday morning service before we come up. We want the Lord to actually move with power. And then he gives us revelation. Let's look at this, uh, this last bullet point, this offering of remembrance. An odd and curious uh, passage here about this ransom money. I don't know if you... You caught it. We've read, the, we've read the text back-to-back weeks. It might seem a little odd. What in the world is this? Ransom money. When the Lord spoke to Moses, take a census of the children. Some of you might say, I thought censuses were wrong in the children of Israel. You might have seen that David was judged greatly for taking a census, wasn't he? And here we see God authorizing a census. This is actually a God-approved census. Later in the book of Numbers, two censuses would be recorded at the direction of the Lord, but Israel's leaders from then forward, Israel's leaders were not allowed to take a census, but God could authorize a census. That kind of makes sense, because God can actually do anything God wants to do, right? If God wants to take a census, he can take a census. But he told the leaders they couldn't take a census. And you might say, well, that's weird. What is going on? Why would God take a census, but he wouldn't allow the leaders to take a census? Here's what it is. In the ancient world, census, those kings that would take a census, it was proof that they owned the empire, that everyone below them was their subjects. And God says, this isn't a Pharaoh-led nation. This is a God-led nation, and the people belong to me, not to you, Moses. Make sense? Not to you, Saul, later. Not to you, David. Not to you, Solomon. None of the leaders, the children of Israel, do not belong to their kings or their leaders. The children of Israel belong to God. And so God says, I can take a census. And a matter of fact, God's the only one that truly knows how many exact number of people are on planet Earth. We can take guesses, right? God knows how many people. He knows exactly who's saved. He knows exactly how many people are Jewish, right? All that stuff. He doesn't need uh, DNA testing or anything like that. He has a lot of censuses, if you will. He actually knows more about the people groups and even the last one that will be reached. All those details God knows. But the children of Israel... God says, I want you to take a census. And they would be important in this respect because they would be recorded for us in numbers and they would be important for some of the things that would actually then transpire all the way to uh, the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. But a census for a census take, it's most cases with, with kings, it's a source of pride. Look how many people belong to me. And that wasn't what God was doing at all. A uh, accounting meant ownership, but God owned Israel, not its leaders. And then David, of course, uh, fell into this sin, counting the people in Second Chronicles chapter 24. But uh, what the Lord asks of here is he says, remember when you number them that there be, may be no plague among them. He's going to take an offering It's a ransom offering. There might not be a plague. Well, the reason being is God is saying, if you ever take a census without my permission, there will be a plague. People are going to die. 
And that's what happened when David did it. But I want you to remember, so you don't forget, right? How many of you forget things every now and then? I have learned now at the age of 44 that if I am told by somebody, hey, uh, remember this, that isn't going to happen unless I write it down. And if it's really important, I'll put it, I'll put it like, um, you know, where I'm brushing my, I'll literally, my wife, I'll write a note and put it near the sink where I know I'm going to brush my teeth, something like that. And then, then it, if, if I write it at night, then I'll transfer that note into my smartphone or something like that so I don't. But at some point, if it's not down on paper, I'm likely to forget. And God says, in essence, this ransom is going to be like a giant sticky note for you, Israel, to never take a census without my permission. But at the same time, you'll actually remember when you give this offering that I've been really gracious to you. Because if I gave you everything you deserve, you'd still be in slavery in Egypt. Because all people are sinners. The, the Israelites were not worthy of being set free. God loved them enough to set them free. Right? The Egyptians, and the, the Egyptians and the Jewish people, it's not that, well, Egyptians are really wicked, Jewish people are really righteous, therefore God owes. No, he doesn't owe either group. But he's like, because I redeemed you, because I ransomed you, and you now belong to me, every single one of you belong to me, this census is for me and for my purposes, but two things. One, you're going to need to give an offering so you never forget to never take a census on your own, and you'll remember when it comes out of your wallet, won't you? You don't forget things that come out of your wallet, do you? You don't forget the time you spent such and so money and the steak wasn't cooked right, right? It, those aren't even important things, and you remember these things. But God wants them to remember this offering is a command. Well, that's kind of odd too, isn't it? Is it an offering or is it a command? Yes. Think about your salvation. Are you commanded to be saved? Are you gently drawn by the Lord to be saved? Yes. The scriptures say that God commands all men everywhere to be saved. And yet at the same time, Jesus says, come, all you that are willing. You're commanded to it, and yet you're gently... All the way back to the Garden of Eden, they were commanded not to touch the tree, but at the same time, God gave them so much love and grace that God always has a command but with the command he wants it to be willing that the children of Israel each one were going to have to give a half shekel according to the shekel everyone was supposed to give this offering which was a commanded offering and we're all commanded to give aren't we? we're commanded to give ourselves back to the Lord I remember when I was younger my dad would give me the opportunity to offer up a lawn cutting for him, right? <laughs> it was both a command and an offering, right? And when I was growing up, when kids actually cut the grass, they were non-negotiable things, right? I hardly see anyone cut the grass in my, in my neighborhood anymore as far as kids. Thankfully, lately I've seen them. I think the, the, I think, I think the uh, economic climate is starting to dip down that I'm starting to see kids co- cut grass again, which is actually, that's a good thing. 
That is a good thing. But, you know, if I was told to cut the grass, I could do it willingly or not willingly, but it still was going to have to happen, right? But really, most of you that are parents, when you now give your kids a task to do, you actually haven't told them to do it because you hate them, have you? And you want them to have a good attitude and say, I'm really happy to do that because I had breakfast today. I never, why did I not think that at 16? It never dawned on me that I had been given thousands of dollars worth of food, clothing, board. None of that stuff seemed to, it went right over my head. And I was like, this is infringing on my day. <laughs> Do you know the plans that I have for today? This wasn't part of the plans. I should have been at the beach by this time or whatever it was. And yet the Lord wants us to not only, he commands it to be given, but he wants the right heart attitude in giving it back. Everything the Israelites had, the ransom money, the money in their pocket was because God had told the Egyptians to throw their entire inheritance in their hands. They forgot that, didn't they, sometimes? Well, well, yes, you did give us that big offering over in Egypt, but but we're kind of holding on to that to build a really sweet place in Canaan, God. He's like, well, I want you to build this tabernacle now. Be careful that your plans don't supersede God's plans. Right? Lord, I'd love to give to such and so a need, but we had really planned on buying, and it's not a need, is it, a lot of times? Not that those things are all wrong. There's a time and place for things. But God may sometimes say, I know, I want you to wait another year on that. I want you to give to this. And that's what the children of Israel, they weren't expecting this ransom offering. They were given no preemptive notice it was coming. They didn't know the census was coming. God says, I want to take a census. No, by the way, so they don't forget that they are never allowed to take a census, take an offering. And at the same time, I want them to remember that I've atoned them. Remember, where, where were they given the atonement reminder? Remember the blood on the doorpost? Right? They were, they were reminded that the blood had to be shed for them to be set free. And the blood had to be shed for us to be set free. And some God, sometimes God will say, I want you to give back to me and remembrance of all that I've done for you. He wants us to willingly give. This is not the mindset of the world. It's not the mindset of the world. Jesus uh, doesn't, doesn't in any way uh, tell us that we will inherit all the things of this world. Quite opposite. We'll inherit the things of God and heaven. But the mindset of this world is greed, and it's a stubbornness, and it's holding on to what we have. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 12, uh, and, and they were talking about the book of Luke with the Jesus film. In Luke chapter 12 Verses 16 through 21 says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I store all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, those, then whose will those things be? which you have provided, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God tells the children of Israel, give and it will be given unto you. 
Remember what I've done. Remember that I set you free. Don't get angry when I tell you I want you to give this offering. Don't say it belongs to you. Does anything belong to you? I was reading Chuck Smith's devotional just this week. I think it was Friday's devotional in the Word for Today devotional. He was talking about uh, in his in his. Uh, his yard, they have a beautiful garden with flowers, and their grandkids will come over, and their grandkids will go out and clip the flowers and go bring them to them. He's like, the flowers belong to us. And he goes, and yet we love the offering. In essence, that's the same thing God does. He gives you things. It's like his flower garden. He gives you your salary. He gives you your job. He gives you your possessions. He gives you all these things. And now God says, all right, give some of it back to me. Why? I want you to learn to give it right back to me. You're picking out of my garden and give it right back. But his grandkids, Chuck's grandkids, aren't doing it begrudgingly. They're excited, right, to give these things. And the Lord's telling the children of Israel, when you give equally, everyone over the age of 20, this is also another, another thing that I think here, this is for the mature. Everyone over the age of 20. Mature people give back to God when he tells us to give. They don't fight back and say, how dare you ask that of me? I can't believe it. I gave something last week. We had GFA here last week. Now we got, you know, uh, when is this going to end, Lord? Right? That's the attitude of our hearts. And the Lord says, no, no, I want you to give because I've given unto you. God could take away every single thing we have tonight. The man with the barns found that out. Now, if that happened to me, at least I'd still be in heaven. The man with the barns, he's not even having that. But when we realize that God owns it all, when he says, I want you to always hold it loosely, whatever you bind on earth, right? Jesus warned us. When we bound in heaven, what you loose on the earth, will be loosed up in heaven, right? And we say, Lord, I hold on lightly to these things that I would be in your presence, not hindered in any way from being used by you. And there's a lot more we could say about this, uh, but, but time kind of escapes us this morning. But know that uh, if we give, it'll be given unto us, won't it? Press down, good measure, overflowing. The Lord wants to take our willing, yes, he commands it. Yes, we're commanded to tithe and give offerings, and we're commanded to do these things. But the Lord says, hey, if you do it with the right heart, not like me at 16 cutting the grass, grumbling the entire time, and as soon as I'm 18, I'm out of here, which I did, right? Oh, that attitude doesn't get you real far, by the way. It doesn't. Because you find out that, uh, you know, eventually God will, God will show you the error of your stubbornness, won't he? But the Lord's telling the children of Israel, look, give willingly. Every day, come in before my presence. Offer up the incense of prayer. Every day, light the lamps of the things that I show you need to be taking place in your life. And it's like the children of Israel, we don't have to wonder, man, Lord, is this stuff going to work? It's faithful and true, isn't it? Right? Everything he tells us to do, we know that prayer will work. We know that understanding and reading his word will work. We know that when we give and let go of the things that we're trying to hold on to, that God will bless and multiply it. 
we know that he'll take the fish and loaves and multiply them, that you're in much better shape actually yielding everything to the Lord and the Lord multiplying it than you are trying to multiply it yourself. Amen? Let's close in prayer.